Episode number 123 of The Sleeper and the Bust. This is your latest and greatest, I'm just kidding about that part, host uh, Nicholas Minix. I'm here for my third episode in that role. And joining me this this evening is Jason Collette, everybody's second favorite, uh, depending on whether Eno's around and listening, co-host. And uh, when he's not listening, he is definitely everyone's favorite co-host. I'm back. It's been... Uh... <laughs> I haven't talked baseball with anybody on a podcast in quite some time. I, I'm having withdrawals. I have to be honest with you. Well, that's good. I, I'm hoping that we can help you get over that. I think we have the cure. Um, it's not quite like um, uh, code, you know, whatever the uh, what is it the substitute for heroin. I'm sorry, I don't don't know my drugs that well. <laughs> if but you don't know your drugs I, well, we should ask a Tampa Bay Rays prospect. Maybe they can help you out there. <laughs> I'm not a bitter fan right now at all. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'd, be, I'd be more than happy to hear you wax on that. Uh, so anytime you're ready. <laughs> no, it's okay. Uh, I just you know, they, they stink so badly this year. I can't wait to see what that what crackhead or pothead they they take like in the top five overall in 2015. They've got such a great track record <laughs> of taking uh, kids with pot and heroin and you guess you know meth, whatever else you want to call it. They've got such a great track record. I cannot wait to see you know, which crackhead they draft in 2015 with a top five pick the way they're playing. Well, in that case, I can think of no better segue into Marcus Stroman. Yeah, the opposite, uh, the opposite. A clean-cut <laughs> guy from Duke. Yes, a clean-cut guy from Duke and uh, a guy who's uh, made his debut in the rotation yesterday for Toronto, uh, who is at the opposite end of the standings from Tampa Bay. And um, initially it was thought it might be uh, might be a situation where they just called him up for a spot start since Liam Hendricks had pitched pretty well in his couple of uh, outings. But uh, the Blue Jays optioned Hendricks to the minors, and Stroman is still up, and it sounds like uh, he's going to be uh, a fixture in the rotation. Uh, what is your take here? Obviously, this is a guy we've already talked about. We know we like the talent. Uh, where does he play? My favorite thing about that whole outing was was the vine that went out of uh, Eric Hosmer striking out on a slider. It was a three-pitch at bat, fastball, fastball, slider, and he just you could see him go, wow, when he swung at the final pitch and how impressed it, impressive it was. Overall, the outing was strong. I, I like the fastball command in it. I like how he established his fastball. I think part of what got him in trouble uh, when he was up earlier coming out of the bullpen is he was getting too cute. He wasn't throwing his fastball enough. And in this game, he was throwing his fastball for strikes to set up his breaking ball. And that's why I like to see from guys. And when you talk about Hendricks, his his game the other day, his last outing came against Tampa Bay. It was one of the strangest games. If you were as... I believe Dwayne Stats, the play-by-play guy, said it best. If you were to measure that game, if baseball was measured by uh, distance that balls were hit, the Rays would have won that game in a blowout. I have never seen so many hard-hit balls fall into gloves. It was like every outfielder uh, for Toronto made tremendous plays, going back to the wall, jumping up, diving everywhere. I mean, they, they Rays uh, legitimately probably had 15 hard-hit balls in that game and had two runs and four hits to show for it. Uh, it was just it, Hendricks uh, stuff was flat and uh, it was just getting hit hard, but hitting right, it hit right two people. So this is 
this is the right decision. Go with the guy with the better stuff. Strowman clearly has the better stuff. He's going to have some road, uh, some bumps in the road. We saw it in bullpen. I mean, if his fastball can get a little bit flat at times if he gets underneath it and leaves it up. But this kid's he's he's the goods. This is the goods. And if Toronto's going to make a trade for a better starting pitcher, it's going to be this kid going the other way. I don't think it's going to be Aaron Sanchez. I think it's going to be Stroman going the other way. So this is his chance to shine. And if he does well, he's going to help his team in two ways. He's going to help them win now, and he's going to help them land a better pitcher for them uh, in the long run. Well, I, I mean, I uh, I can't agree more as far as keeping him in the rotation. I think that's true, and it's interesting to see. I get I did not see any of that start. Uh, I have not watched very much baseball in the past couple of weeks, so I'm glad to hear uh, that uh, Liam Hendricks is uh, the Liam Hendricks I knew and loved in in Minnesota. And I think, <laughs> I mean, I think I, I totally agree. And I think it's I mean, it's interesting. I'd love to see Stroman in in, uh, in a National League park or for you know, pitching for a National League team like, for instance, the Cubs, where I mean, you don't have to pay quite quite as often uh, if your fastball is a little off. Uh, I mean, he you know obviously with a uh, with a, a slightly weaker lineup potentially uh, every fifth day out. So I think, I mean, it, he'd be intriguingly, yeah, and I, I I would think that uh, Toronto would do everything they could to avoid trading Sanchez. Uh, and so Stroman's probably not a bad consolation prize uh, for a National League team, and that would be an interesting uh, arrangement. Um, obviously, uh, Boston seemed destined to replace Clay Buckles in the rotation uh, before they put him on the disabled list with a hyperextended knee. It's hard to tell how long that's going to keep him out, but Ruby De La Rosa is the pitcher that they called up to replace him, and uh, he had a fantastic outing, uh, which I, I think surprised me a little, although the results he's been getting in AAA have been very good as well. Uh, what's your what's your th- uh, thoughts on him going forward? And guess who he faced in that terrific outing? Um, uh, uh, the Reds. Tampa Bay. <laughs> oh, Tampa Bay. Okay. Uh, but no, honestly, he looked great. Uh, in in the fact, a couple of weeks ago, there was a uh, a piece by uh, there was a piece that was done by Tim Britton of the Providence Journal talking about uh, the pitch inefficiency of Rosa, the struggles he was having down in the minors uh, with that, and that was something that they wanted him to work on said, look, you need to be a little more pitch efficient, get your work done and pitching against Tampa Bay is struggling offensively was a great way to do it. What stood out with this kid, he hit triple digits on one of his pitch. His fastball sat 97 to 99. Uh, and then the changeup was 88, 90. And you might think, wow, that's high velocity for a changeup. Was it getting moving? Yeah, it was. I mean, he's got a consistent, he's done work with Pe- with Pedro Martinez. It's the same arm slot. You couldn't tell out of the hand what was coming. And you, the swings got uglier and uglier throughout the game. He was basically a two-pitch pitcher in this game. He threw four curveballs, but the fastball at that velocity, the changeup at that velocity, same arm slot, it was impressive. Now, again, his next time out, I'm not sure who he's going to face, but it's not going to be a lineup as putrid as Tampa Bay's. So this kid is going to have some struggles, but you see the upside. This was the upside. This is why the Dodgers didn't want to trade him a couple of years ago. This is why the Red Sox were excited to get him a couple of years ago. Uh, and we finally tapped in. This kid came up last year and was not that good. But what I saw the other night was it was impressive. What uh, You could see the kid's got a bright future. I want to see what happens when he faces a, a more legitimate lineup that requires a third pitch. But the curveball was good. He just really didn't use it because he didn't need it. Yeah, I mean, he's. I know he's an incredibly talented pitcher. He's an interesting uh, guy. Uh, he kind of reminds me in the sense of uh, perhaps a, 
uh, a better uh, pitcher with a brighter, uh, maybe a little bit better version of a Nate Eovaldi. I mean, in, uh, just a, another guy who came from the Dodger system. It always, but in the sense, just that Eovaldi uh, especially teased with the velocity, and I was wondering if the strikeouts were going to translate in the majors uh, because I wondered how much movement. But uh, with with the fastball had, but he's he's increasingly easier, and especially I guess in this last start relied on a two seamer, uh, and it just, I mean, it may, it's it's interesting to me. I obviously. Because that's, uh, I mean, it's a pitch with a little bit more movement. I always thought his fastball was a little flat, and that's what. Uh, um, but I think, I mean, I think that there's a lot of potential upside there because, I mean, just he he is he's he's a talent, and like you said, I mean, it's what's the big deal if your changeup is around ninety if if you're throwing ninety seven to ninety nine. A lot of people, are, yeah, that's the thing. A lot of people on Twitter were like, "Hey, is that too hard for a changeup?" No, changeup's all about velocity separation from your fastball, and you need to have it. There's been, I think Eno even did some work on this, but there, I, I remember some back of baseball perspectives. I think I did a piece, somebody else did a piece. We looked at velocity separation, where your ideals are, and you need to be at least seven. If, if you have it too close, and this is something that Dan Heron talked about last year, said his, his fastball and his changeup or his fastball and cutter were too close together velocity wise, and that's why he started going to a deeper curveball. But you need to have some more velocity separation. I think that's what happened with uh, Jake Odorizzi earlier this year too fastball 90 he was throwing that change up at 85 that's not enough you need to have more and where Odorizzi found some successes where he threw that slow curveball so I'm not concerned that his, his change up 88 90 because it's still eight to ten miles an hour slower than his fastball and even at that velocity it still had fade to it that's that's what was really impressive with the pitch is you know if you think about that at heart does it have time to drop it it did but again out of the hand you could tell guys had a very tough time figuring out what he was throwing. Yeah, I think, I mean, based on, you're, you're talking about Stroman and De La Rosa, two pretty talented pitchers. And um, if you're talking about the end of a mixed league roster, I mean, I think these guys can play there. It's just you have to deal with some ups and downs. It's going to be, I think it's, you know, it's the type of thing where it's unpredictable. It's going to be more on the pitcher than it is the opponent. And so, I mean, I think that, uh, it's a little. It, it, the only thing that's ever really concerned me about De La Rosa in the long term uh, was the control. Was he going to overcome that? And obviously, he didn't walk anyone in that in that outing uh, against Tampa Bay. But uh, it, typically, and even uh, at the, in the minors this year, his walk rate was uh, approaching uh, was or was uh, uh, it was around ten percent, ten or eleven percent. And that's and that's kind of been typical for him. So. Uh, you know, is he going to get different results against a more patient team? Uh, is he going to have more control control problems? But it's just an inconsistent. I mean, overall, I'd, uh, I wouldn't mind living with some inconsistency from a really talented pitcher. Yeah, exactly. It was. I mean, I've got bids on him in, in a couple of fifteen team mix leagues that I play. I picked him up in a thirteen team home league that I have. I just noticed that I won that tonight, so I'm pretty psyched about <laughs> that. And we'll see what happens in NFBC because I got a bid on him there as well. Nice. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking strongly of putting in bids for uh, both of the pitchers we just talked about uh, in, in tout in a 15 team mixed league as well. And that's uh, I, I could always use some more depth there because my pitching is struggling. Spore and I, Spore and I, we have Stroman in uh, in labor. That was some. That was one of the guys we targeted towards the end of the draft. We wanted to get him, so we have him. Unfortunately, he was on our bench over the weekend because we didn't know we didn't have the time. To, we didn't know he was going to start this weekend when we set lineups last weekend. Yeah, well, that's yeah, and that's obviously completely understandable. You're forgiven, maybe. Huh. <laughs> uh, moving on to uh, n- another situation here, uh, n- probably not much to talk about really, but uh, Dice K Matsuzaka will be filling in. Looks like at least in the short term in the rotation, Mets uh, demoted Rafael Montero. They needed some depth 
uh, in the bullpen anyway, or thinking to, to move things around. But uh, I mean, it sounds like this is one of those temporary permanent uh, decisions. Dice K will get an opportunity to convince him that he belongs in the rotation. Uh, and any interest here in mixed leagues? No, party like it's 2007. <laughs> I mean, everything the Mets are doing just is just making me laugh. I, I can't get over the fact some of the guys that are on this roster. I maintain Heath Bell is going to pitch for the Mets before this year's out. I believe it totally. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm not really. Sure. I mean, he had. A, I know he had a really good outing and a spot start for the Mets, and apparently that's all you need to do uh, to maintain a spot in the rotation as long as you're. Not uh, as long as you have less than one year experience. All you have to do is so, have a good I, inning for that team. <laughs> you, have, you, have you probably team. impress someone. I, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's, it really is. I mean, it's, I, they needed the fresh arm because they had all these uh, extra inning games against the Mets this week, against the, the Phillies. The, both these games, yeah. they went, what, 14 innings? And I didn't see how long today's went, but I know yesterday uh, DeGrom ended up pitching and well. But uh, yeah, game. that game went long. I got. I wrote a story at ESPN about young pitchers, and I talked about Stroman, Bauer, yep. and uh, De La Rosa. And so one, somebody was like, where the hell is DeGrom? And I'm like, well, DeGrom's not exactly young. He's 26. And it's, you know, I, I wrote about guys that were coming back from adversity, and Bauer's had his issues. Stroman really stunk before he got demoted. I mean, DeGrom has been good since the get-go, so he really didn't fit the mold of the story, but... Uh, it is. He's one of the, the bright spots for the Mets. That and an eighty-year-old Bobby Abreu still hitting the baseball. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll change, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, uh, we talk about uh, pitchers who have. Uh, I mean, um, well, first of all, the game today against the Phillies that went eleven innings. Uh, so that's what is that? Uh, Thirty-nine innings of baseball in a weekend set. Uh, for three games, that's not uh, that's that's going to tax anybody's bullpen. Uh, but uh, moving on to uh, Brandon Mar Mar, I'm never sure how to say his name. Marver Mauer. I've heard it pronounced Mauer. Okay, he's been demoted uh, from Seattle. Uh, obviously, has not been pitching well for them pretty much uh, from the get go this season. So, pitcher definitely has some talent, but uh, it looks like they're going to make a switch there in the rotation. And at the same time, uh, Taiwan Walker is not ready to return quite yet and uh james paxton it's hard to say when he's going to come back because he had yet another setback so uh it's looking like i guess i mean speculation has been that erasmo ramirez is again the guy um any thoughts here as to who who it might be and uh if you're interested and who it might be if it's not who we think it might it's be. gonna be temporary i mean they're, they're just holding the spot for walker and it sounds like he's pretty close uh if, if Ramirez comes up, it's probably for a start, and then he goes right back down as he has a couple of times this year. But they're just keeping the spot warm for for Walker at this point. I know it's been a slow rehab. I mean, this is an issue that's been lingering since spring training. And he thought, "Oh, I'm finally back. Oh, I'm finally back. Oh, I'm finally back." And here we are, June, and he's still not back you know, with this situation. But uh, I just think they're, they're just keeping the spot warm. I'm not terribly interested in this spot. Uh, same thing with with the Rockies. I mean, the, the talk about uh, Tyler Matzik coming up uh, for Morales, that's a placeholder because Jonathan Gray is is close, and so is Eddie Butler. And they, though, that's where the talent is. Bring those guys up uh, and, and stop jerking us around with some of these other guys. Yeah, and I can understand that, especially, uh, I mean, uh, Walker is a case I can understand where they are. They have been extremely cautious uh, considering – <clears throat> uh, the, the the situation with uh, uh, 
Danny. Now I'm suddenly forgetting his Holson. name. This happens to me all the time. Yes, Danny Holton. Uh, I mean, he was a very similar situation to the way uh, uh, Walker's developed uh, and kind of a uh, really given. Uh, I mean, I was scared, for instance, as a guy. I mean, I had bought Walker in AL Labor at the beginning of March, and uh, so I was not pleased with that development. But uh, I think. Uh, the Rockies in this case, I know that uh, Matzik was one of their top picks, I want to say, in 2011. And it's a case, I mean, I guess, you know, what you, you want to – I mean, he has a, he's had a lot of control problems. And control problems don't mix well with Colorado. I mean, that they don't mix well anywhere. But, uh, I mean, that's pretty much the last place you want to get yourself in trouble. And as, as we've talked about, Nino mentioned that it's not necessarily the home runs. It's just that the – I mean – uh, you're going to give up a lot of balls in play and, and a lot of hard hit balls there. And uh, I mean, it's just uh, he's he sounds like a placeholder in the sense that he's uh, I mean, I, I think they give him plenty of run, but uh, uh, it doesn't sound like he's going to have a recipe for success when he does come up. It'd be interesting to see uh, how he plays uh, or if he'd be worth a play in an only league, but uh, I have my doubts. Uh, and so that means that. There's really only a couple of pitchers that we talked about that should really interest you. So we're going to move into bullpen situations, and really, it's—I mean—I don't think there's uh, there, this is this is not a surprise to anyone, and it was totally expected. But Jason Grilly is back a closer for the Pirates. Uh, he uh, was put back in there on Thursday and picked up save immediately. He didn't seem to really have any troubles, uh, which is unusual uh, for his time uh, before he went on the DL. And so, really, what is your outlook for him for the rest of the season? I'm fine with him. It stinks if you're a Melanson owner, as I was in a home league. He had 10 saves in May, and that was great. But with uh, with Grilly back in the picture, is the skills will hold up. It's just the health. I, as long as he's healthy, I agree with you. He'll be fine. But it's not. This isn't a case where you can say, okay, if you have a bench, I'd still keep Melanson close by. I wouldn't let him linger off your roster, even if you need a roster spot. I just when you look at a guy of Grilly with the age, this is now what, two stints on the DL in four months of baseball? There's another one coming at some point. Yeah, that's uh, something uh, Neil Huntington, actually, I mean, in reference to that, it was nice to see. It was, uh, I guess, a little bit of uh, candor in the sense that he said, you know, it's our only real concern here is that he's had a couple of injuries in the span of four to six months. And so that's something we have to keep an eye on. And that's, I mean, to me, that's a great reason uh, for Gurley owners to use whatever time he's back in as clo- at closer to use that as leverage to uh, find a way to get to some insurance. I mean, w- what are the chances that you can make a trade for Melanson if you can give up something that's not real significant to you? Uh, and hope I, I don't uh, handcuffing your closer and things like that. That's not really a, a great strategy per se. But I think in this case, uh, I would uh, I would want uh, to do anything I could to get some insurance for Gurley because uh, just I mean, it could be a month. Uh, could be a, could be a couple of weeks or a month, or it could be you know toward the end of the season. But I just really not have that kind of uncertainty lingering over my staff. Yep. Uh, Cody Allen, I've, there's been a little bit of unrest uh, with the Cleveland uh, bullpen. John Axford was demoted a w- little bit ago, and uh, there was kind of a, just a basically a committee situation. Uh, but it was clear that the Indians have given Cody Allen an opportunity to kind of take stranglehold on that. And uh, he's converted Sage in each of the last two games. And it seems to have gotten past a couple uh, some difficulties. So he, granted, he was facing a Colorado Rockies lineup that has been ferocious this season, but uh, on this recent road trip has been uh, pretty stale. Um, but, uh, I mean, nonetheless, it's good to see some positive outings for him and the control will not be a big issue. Um, we had talked about a possibility that Ashford would return to the role in the, in the short term, but... Uh, uh, with Allen getting this work done, I mean, what's what do we see unfolding in Cleveland? Uh, right, that's going to be Allen's job to lose. I mean, you can't take away, you can't 
just yank the job from the guy. He's, he's done well with it with the role, and I think he sticks in it until uh, something goes away. I don't think you know you don't yo-yo a guy back and forth if you were if you had enough conviction to bench Axford from the role. What has he really done to earn it back? Not enough. I don't think that he probably needs to do a little more. So for right now, ride the hot hand. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think I think the Indians won't be uh, disappointed that uh, uh, that they have an excuse to continue to give Baxter some more time to work out his issues, which basically revolve around uh, his control. Uh, he's been really good in three outing, uh, three appearances uh, with five strikeouts and three to third innings, no walks. I think that that's. A, I mean, I think eventually he's going to get the shot. This is something that Nino and I talked about on Thursday, and he was. He, I mean, he brought up an excellent point that basically uh, they want to do what they can probably to keep Allen from becoming more expensive. And so eventually it looks like Axford's going to get the role. But I think, yes, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a case where, you know, Allen has some sort of uh, slip up, I would imagine, um, before they make that move. Yeah. yeah well, uh, <laughs> Dave, Dave Robson, this is something I just, uh, you know, had a had a bit of a curiosity about, figured there was something uh, perhaps we could look into more quickly. And it may be absolutely nothing, but he had a total meltdown. Uh, today uh, in two thirds of an inning gave up five runs and uh, it was just I mean it was a total disaster of an outing I think it'd be it's interesting to see that how how much uh, they left him in to, to take uh, the brunt of that beating uh, and he had already pitched yesterday as well so I mean, it, 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 did you notice anything have you have you gotten to see anything from this outing or uh, been able to look up any details of this uh, I am curious to see if uh, uh, there was anything to be concerned I mean about he there. left he, the, the... He uh, blew the save when he left the fastball up to Willingham, who hit it about 450. Uh, that was crushed. But this is only the second save that he's blown all year. I know people are freaking out. Uh, Yankee fans are freaking out because you've got Dylan Batansis, or as, as he's called, Dylan Batansis, because he comes in and strikes out everybody he faces lately. And everybody was like, "Oh, let's let's bring let's get let's get uh, Batansis into this. He needs he needs to have this role." But I mean, I think what's what speaks volumes about what he's doing right now. Yes, he's striking out everybody he's facing, but look what he's being used. Uh, this is what kind of I what I look at. I want to see if I'm trying to figure out like, who's going to be the next guy out of the bullpen. Who's it going to be? And and this is what I see. This is the month of May for him, and these are the innings that he's pitched. 5th, 6th, 8th, 7th, 8th, 6th, 6th, 7th, 5th, 7th, 5th, 6th, 5th, 6th, 9th, 8th, 9th, 6th, and then today 6th again. So the only time he has seen high leverage situations, he came in the last week in a tie in a tie ball game. Uh, it was ninth inning, and the the Yankees won the game four or three. So he came into that one. He came in late against the Cardinals for two innings, struck out two. But he's only seen the eighth inning four times in his last twelve outings. Everything else has been early in the game. So it's like it's. If this is not a guy that you're just going to jump to the closer role because he has this stuff. Clearly, if, if they thought he was that guy, he would at least get some more seventh inning work. But you don't use a guy that you're going to think of as your closer in the fifth and sixth inning. There's just that's low leverage. I don't care what the game situation is. That's just low leverage stuff. But that's when he's being used. So they're clearly easing him into something. Now, could Batanzas do the job down the line? Yes, I think he's quite capable of doing it down the line from a stuff perspective but a lot of what closing is is a mental thing and i don't know if this kid's got it yet i don't think they think he has it yet the way he's being used yeah i wouldn't argue with that at all i mean i batanzas batanzas has a talent yes he could be a closer batanzas says 
when we talk about it, obviously a lot of folks like to believe that uh, there's you know there's no difference between pitching in the in the uh, in in earlier innings and uh, and uh, pitching in the ninth inning, but uh, if it's for an inning at a stretch. But there is, yeah, you said a lot of it is just a, there's a psych, there's a different psychological uh, bit to it. And uh, Batantis is a guy who's I mean he's been through a lot in the last few years uh, to say that suddenly after two months into 2014 season um, after uh, some positives uh, some positive developments last year that it's that the, this guy is ready for the closer role. Sean Kelly is also on the disabled list. That's guy t- mm-hmm. they've kind of typically viewed as uh, the setup man. And I'm sure that, uh, I mean, he, he's not ready to return right, uh, right away, but it sounds like he's not too, too far off. So, I mean, this is, it's, I, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's anything to worry about as far as Robertson is concerned. I haven't seen any news come out yet. Uh, Joe Girardi is obviously a pretty loyal guy, has been for a long time. And, and typically if he if he sees something uh, or if a guy has a bad outing, the first thing he's looking to do is give the opportun- give the guy an opportunity to kind of uh, take a step back uh, and, and uh, come back in and gain, regain some confidence. And so I think that that's – I mean, that's you're, you're certainly going to see that play out unless there's something health-related here. Again, there's – don't want to start any speculation. I have not seen anything uh, that says uh, that says so. So well, I mean, let's get um, something straight. We're talking about a guy who's holding opposition to a two hundred three batting average and has struck out forty two percent of the guys he faced. If it wasn't for the blown save today, nobody would care about what this guy's done this yeah. year because those are awesome numbers for a closer. It just happened to blow a save in in you know glorious fashion today. But those are forty-two percent strikeout rate is amazing, and two uh, two hundred three batting average against is terrific for a closer. It's just that Batantis is doing the same thing in a completely different situation earlier in games, and I just think sometimes we get recency bias. It's like, oh god, this guy sucks. This guy rules. Let's flip him, and this would be a complete panic move. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely understand that. Uh, and as far as uh, other closure situations of interest, the Cubs is is. Mildly of interest. Okay, it is of interest. But uh, and Hector Rondon, is, he's been on paternity leave. I'm sure he will be back um, shortly, probably at the beginning of this week. Uh, but Neil Ramirez, it, I mean, it sounds like uh, the Cubs are willing to use him in, in, in uh, Rendon's stead this week, uh, this past weekend. Uh, as a guy with uh, with some pretty good skills, at least so far this year, and uh, I mean, I think he was a former top, his former top pitching prospect. I want to say for Atlanta and Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, this is yet yet another guy. I mean, Pedro Strope is due back from the disabled list sometime soon. They do still have that Jose Veras guy that uh, was supposed to be in the mix for this at some point. Is this is Neil Ramirez a guy that you're keeping an eye on in this situation? I'm sure. When you talk about strikeout rates, so far he struck out 19 of the 44 guys he faced. That's a 43% strikeout rate. Uh, and batters are hitting 150 against the guy. I mean, those are impressive numbers. Anybody, saves or saves or saves. Uh, you know, if, if Rondon is something happens you get something this is still a skill set if i'm in a 12 team nl league i want these skills somewhere in my roster because skills will play out in some capacity and this is this is nice when i'm looking at what this guy's doing right now it's good he gave up one home run one double six single uh, four singles but 19 strikeouts four walks Uh, i like what i'm seeing here yeah i i mean this is a I would be a little surprised if if Ramirez is still available in an in only league, but if he is, you should definitely. I would I would definitely be on this again. The skill because the skills are going to play 
I love having a guy like that where the skills are going to play, and then if he comes in the saves, it's like wow bonus. I mean, yeah, I think you you love players like that, and I mean that's something to keep in mind down the road or when you're in drafts is that uh, in a situation that is a little more tenuous as far as the saves go and uh, guys with skills emerge is those are the guys you want to target because eventually they may get a shot. It's uh, just because uh, they they present themselves as an alternative that uh, the team maybe didn't really see before. Uh, and the Cubs certainly probably had a lot of guys on their radar for potential say, uh, closer candidates uh, down the road. And I think that that's <laughs> they dipped into it a little earlier than they'd hoped. But uh, ultimately, they got to do uh, what they got to do. And uh, he seemed like a guy down the road that could certainly get some consideration. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, big news. We kind of. Uh, I'm glad we didn't jump into it right away because who knows how this could go. But uh, Oscar Tavares called up uh, this past weekend, uh, debuted on Saturday, homered. I'm sure that uh, that was that was uh, delightful and quite a thrill for a lot of folks. Um, what do, what do you see here? Uh, rest of season outlook. Uh, what does this look like? I, I, I hesitated to call this uh, when I did an appearance yesterday uh, to call this a it's a permanent call up. I mean they do have an AL uh, uh, some. I think it's seven games coming up in like the next nine or 10 days on AL parks. And they talked about this being a possibility with the DH being in play. Um, do you see this being a permanent move? Uh, I, I think performance will dictate that to some degree or could dictate that to some degree. But uh, beyond that, uh, what, what do you think Tavares' outlook yeah, is? I honestly think this is a permanent move. I mean, that I know that was the original talk, but that was before Matt Adams got hurt. So this, this will go, this gives him a job for at least two weeks along those lines and by that time the the cutoff would have been in play that's right around where where super two kind of would have come into play anyhow you may as well leave him up the offense needs it i mean we're looking at an offense that hit 11 home runs last month 11 as a team in may it put that in perspective the let's see the the, the Shoby state combined for 21 home runs between the cardinals and the royals and then you factor in the uh boston for 13 or so, I looked at the math earlier today. You know, uh, I'm pretty sure Edward Encarnacion is beating Toronto had 48. <laughs> Toronto had 48 home runs in May. And when you Inc- look at it, single handedly beat all those just teams. Just insanity. <laughs> and that's where those things are. So it's, uh, it, it's crazy, but they need the offense and they got to leave this kid up. And yeah, if I had, if I was looking, this is why you held on. You know, if a lot of people were drafting him, I know at NFBC he was going rather high. But this is why you draft him. He's going to make that kind of impact. He's got the potential to be special. It's why he was considered. He or Buxton were considered the best prospect in baseball, depending on who you listen to uh, with that. But this kid's going to be special. It's going to be fun to watch, and I'm glad he's up. And I wish the Pirates would just get with gear and get Polanco up. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't just. I mean, I, I'm. I am a little uh, concerned. I mean, uh, if, if I think if Tavares gives them any excuse at all, like I said, you know, if he really if he struggles for any bit or anything like that, uh, I mean, the, I guess the question to me is, what do they do once Adams returns? Because he hasn't he hasn't performed poorly, um, but uh, I guess I mean, uh, the idea is that has are they comfortable enough with Tavares in center field? And basically, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate for the most part because I. I it just it seems like a uh, almost I mean it's inevitability. Tavares is going to be taking over in center field, um, and I think that that's really what the outcome of this is. But I, I I keep trying to play devil's advocate to see if this is ultimately. I just don't want fancy owners to come up and commit. And uh, I mean the Cardinals have been known to do some pretty strange things to me at times. Uh, but ultimately, it does look like he's going to stick around. And uh, 
I mean, yeah, if I mean, if for some reason this guy was available in a fantasy league, uh, that certainly should have changed uh, coming into this week uh, at this point. I mean, he should be owned pretty much everywhere because, I mean, I, I love that. Yeah, the, the talent is it doesn't matter. Also, really, if, this, if the Cardinals do decide to send him down for any stretch, it really doesn't matter because it won't be long. It seems like. Oh, yeah, exactly. So um it, it, it's 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 great to see this guy up, and we're not too far away, as you said, from uh, from seeing another one. I, I, incidentally, this is not something I had uh, uh, included as something necessarily to talk about, but uh, Pittsburgh just moved uh, Gregory Polanco to the leadoff spot uh, for their for their Triple A Farm Club, uh, and they say it's you know preparation to get him to because uh, that's where he's probably going to hit for the big league club once he's up. Uh, how much is there to read into that as far as uh, how soon he might be up? Uh, well, for me, it's it's good because it at least gets him an extra plate appearance or two. I mean, over the course of a season, when you look at when you look at a, a guy, the spot in the lineup matters about eighteen plate appearances. So when you hear about people saying, "Oh, this guy should hit second, this guy should hit third, it's eighteen more plate appearances over the course of a season. So if he's got, if he's been hitting third, I didn't I haven't paid attention. To where he's been hitting in the lineup. All I know is he's hitting three. Yes, he's sir. hitting three forty nine, four eleven, five fifty two <laughs> in Triple A in a ballpark that's a pitcher's ballpark. Uh, and oh yeah, he's got twelve stolen bases too. So for God's sakes, just call the guy up already. Yeah, I mean it seems uh, he displayed some power in spring training. We know that that's kind of a latent skill for him, but ultimately, I mean he's you know, it's kind of a situation similar to Starling Marte, I think, in the sense not that. I mean, who knows where, how these guys are going to slot in this lineup in the long term, but uh, Polanco's skill set seems to fit the leadoff spot for them well. Marte has at times kind of struggled this year. So, I mean, it, it, it certainly makes sense. McCutcheon has been hitting third. I don't think that there's any reason that the Pirates will consider moving him nope. out of that anytime soon. And that's where that was where Polanco was hitting at AAA. So, I mean, it's, it's certainly a sensible maneuver and certainly seems like uh, to me, Polanco is the kind of, uh, has the kind of skills where I don't think it's going to take much to adapt to in terms of, I mean, he's, uh, he, I think he has pretty good sense and control of the strike zone. Yeah, he, so. he may not take a lot of walks, but I, I, I'm fine with that. We're talking about a guy in AAA. He, he has a he has a 404 on base percentage in AAA, so the kid knows how to get on base. His minor league career on base percentage is 358. It was 354 in AA, and it's you know 404 in AAA. So he's passed all these tests. He could hit, he's the best option for them. Put him up there. The kid makes a ton of hard contact. Let him do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would be excited to see it. And uh, uh, while we're talking about uh, call-ups, um, everyone's favorite anticipated prospect debut is Stephen Drew. Stephen Drew. Oh, yeah. That's uh, obviously a little bit of sarcasm. But uh, Boston, uh, yeah, obviously we know that uh, about a week and a half ago they called him up. Is there any reason, I guess, basically the only question is, is there any reason – uh, to th- do you want to throw them in your lineup right away for weekly lineups? Do you wait uh, a little while? Uh, I mean, I, I would be a little hesitant. I think he's only been in the minors for about a week, and uh, you know they say they didn't think he needed that, that long, but he kind of, uh, relatively speaking, did not. I mean, didn't do much at AAA uh, at the AAA level, uh, and, and uh, I, I would be a little hesitant. I think to throw him in my lineup right away. I mean, this is obviously a guy who kind of. I don't want to. Well, I mean, basically, he barely plays in 15 team mixed leagues, uh, so I don't think you're going to necessarily miss out a whole lot. I mean, the thing with him is, it's it's a deal because of where he plays. But let's not forget, this guy sucks against lefties. He can't hit them over the last five years. 216 batting average with a 25% whiff rate against lefties. That's that's not rosterable stuff. That's that's terrible. He's better against righties, so he's even when he gets the job, he's a matchup play. 
And if you weren't playing in Boston, people wouldn't be so excited about this. But this is a matchup play guy. This is not a, a 12-team mixed league. This is end game material for me. In a 15-team league, I'll play him when I can, but I'm definitely going to bench him. If I got daily lineups, he has to sit against every lefty. Uh, and you got to play your matchups with him. Yeah, I, I'll definitely agree with that. I think it'd be, uh, I'm interested to see. I haven't looked at his splits um, in a couple of years. Uh, obviously, uh, when he had the broken ankle uh, a couple of years ago, that really affected his health and performance uh, for the, uh, for quite some time. And it was really uh, not until toward the end of 2012 that he finally displayed uh, uh, complete health. Um, but, uh, I mean, uh is it a situation where it's a possibility that, uh, I mean, kind of like Chase Utley did where he struggled for a couple of years against left-handed hitters and or left-handed pitchers and not to say that he has totally come back around, but uh, he's certainly improved again against left-handed. It was always, he was always a player who uh, performed well against left-handed pitchers. The last uh, couple of seasons for him has really been tough. I mean, it's only yeah. been 263 plate appearances, but he's hit 197 and struck out 31% of the time against lefties that, and that's over the last two seasons. Uh, again, 263 plate appearances, but that's where he is. I, I cannot recommend – he's not an everyday player to me, but this is where Boston is. I think the the, the biggest benefit of this is it is it's kick-started Xander Bogarts. That dude's been on fire since the Stephen Drew signing. And as somebody <laughs> who's sitting on three shares of Bogarts, I'm loving this. But this guy, something clicked. As soon as they said, okay, we signed Stephen Drew, he was like, oh, crap. And he has started crushing the baseball, taking really good at-bats. And uh, so that's really been the biggest upside of this. If you're a fantasy owner of Bogarts, you, know, you should love Stephen Drew because it's definitely kick-started his performance. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, anybody who's concerned, uh, because uh, obviously uh, you mentioned the possibility of anybody who's concerned about uh, any any kind of changes in the lineup shouldn't be obviously about Bogarts because uh, even when Middlebrooks comes back, for instance, uh, I mean, it's more of a situation where – Drew and Middlebrooks will essentially be swapping, and Bogarts will be switching between positions before he, uh, they take him out of right. the lineup. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing with him, and you know, I, a couple of weeks ago, I had tweeted out and and said, "Why in the hell are you having? Why in the hell are you having Bogarts hitting seventh in your lineup?" I mean, people were saying, it's, "Sure, he wasn't hitting with much power at the time, but he had a 370 on base percentage. He was hitting seventh. Meanwhile, this is when Victorino was healthy. They were having Pedroia, they were having Victorino and Pedroia hitting the top. And Victorino had like a 290 on base percentage. It made no sense at all. I just said, you know, put him in the top of the line to be their first or second because this kid can work counts and he gets on base. You're wasting him down in the seven hole. This was going on during the 10 game losing streak. And they put him in the two hole and they've won seven straight. Now, causation doesn't equal correlation doesn't equal causation here, but this is where he belongs. And even when Drew comes back, there's a good chance that Bogarts could end up hitting leadoff. For me, I'd have him hitting leadoff. I'd have uh, Pedroia hitting second because of the back control. Have Ortiz hit third. Napoli's due back in a week. Uh, right now, they've had Brock Holt hitting leadoff, and he's getting it done. I mean, he had four doubles today, two of which were just terribly fielded balls by Sean Rodriguez. Uh, but this kid belongs in the top of the lineup. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting call on the lineup. I think that that's uh, uh, Shane Victorino was kind of a default possibility for them at the top of the lineup, and it's kind of one of those things where I think where, um, well, he steals some bases and he has some speed, so let's think about putting him at the top. But uh, and he, and he, uh, his OBP last season was great. I mean, I think it's primarily he has a, he has hit poorly this season. I haven't seen his walk rate, but I mean, typically he's a guy who's taken uh, taking some walks, um, but. 
He's also been a guy who was, uh, I mean, as a Phillies fan of long remember, I mean, for some reason he's just kind of uh, regularly struggled as a leadoff hitter. I don't think he's, uh, he's as uh, even though he's a patient uh, player overall, I think when he gets in the leadoff spot, it's like he thinks too much about it. And I think he's a player that doesn't like to think too much. I mean, he's kind of a, uh, seems to be more of a guess hitter to me. And I don't think that that's really necessarily the spot for him. So uh, I think the Red Sox will be better served not having him at leadoff anyway. And uh, I mean, it sounds like Bogarts, obviously, the way he's performed, uh, really looks like he'd be a good candidate for that spot. And uh, obviously, that would uh, certainly uh, be be quite intriguing for his fantasy value. Uh, all right. So what do we say about Mike Moustakas being recalled? A lot of people always wonder, oh, why isn't this guy being called up? You know, what's the difference between AAA and the majors? I mean, let's review Mike Moustakas' line before he got demoted. He was batting 148 with a 218 OBP and a 313 slug, arguably the worst everyday player in the game. I mean, just outside, this side of Jose Molina, probably the ugliest plate appearances, was not making any hard contact whatsoever. Yes, he had four home runs. I think those were the four mistakes pitchers made to him all season. But it was ugly to watch this guy hit. I mean, it pulls everything, and they overshift him, and it just it was just not working out. He goes down to AAA, hits 355, 412, 548 over 34 plate appearances. He's only up because Danny Valencia got hurt, and they needed somebody. That's the only reason this guy's up. You can't tell me that he's fixed in 34 plate appearances in AAA. And this is somebody who owns him and has to put him in his lineup this week in AL Tout because of Will Myers going to disable this. I don't want him in my lineup, but I have to have an active lineup, and this is what i got to do. But there's no way this guy's fixed after just 34 uh, at-bats in AAA because he looked horrendous before he got sent down. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think the Royals would agree with you. I think what's interesting to me is that they would have called him up. I mean, I would have, I mean, I think it would have been easy to come up with the uh, with an excuse to try to find anyone else. I'm not sure uh, off the top of my head, uh, uh, Johnny G. Avatella, for instance, uh, somebody that they could call up and just say, look, we're we're going to continue to work on their stocks because I don't think this call up is necessarily beneficial for, I mean, if you're if you really still think that there's something left to salvage in Mike Mustakas, I don't think this call is beneficial because it's hard to say how long Danny Valencia is going to be out. And uh, I mean, Mustakas was over three today. It's not uh, going to sh- uh, shock anyone. I mean, he hasn't been striking out a ton or anything like that. He has. He certainly improved his walk rate. Just to me, it's it looks like a total mental thing. They've always said that he's had a lot of. I mean, he's 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 kind of a uh, had some. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to call them issues or anything like that. But it's it's. It's very much a mental thing for him. It's uh, he tends to be extremely hard on himself and things like that. And this just really doesn't seem like the environment you want to throw him right back into if you're really uh, going to think about uh, what he's going to mean to you in the long term. So it's just it seems like a strange move to me. Uh, and he's, and got, he's got to play every day too because Valencia was yeah. a platoon partner, and there's a there's a reason why you don't want him hitting. Uh, you don't want Mustakas facing lefties, but you know this is what they're going to do with him. Uh, and Mustakas got to play through it. 0 for 3, again, not shocking. And I forgot, no, they're facing, that's that's a prime example. They were facing Mark Burley today. That's a pitcher Mike Moustakas normally wouldn't be facing, but he has to because they don't have a clean platoon partner anymore in Valencia. So you call it Moustakas and say, oh, yeah, by the way, let's face the guy that, that's just been shutting down everybody in baseball this year, and he goes 0 for 3 against him. So not shocking. But again, I'm not buying that 34 plate appearances fix this guy. I would love to be wrong on this one, but there's not a chance. Yeah, I totally agree. And so uh, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see. I mean, obviously, we're approaching the point where uh, Kendris Morales is, is 
just about to come off the market. I think it's pretty much an inevitability now. There's multiple teams. Where where do you see what is is to you is likeliest landing spot? I saw a report that the Yankees were interested this morning from uh, River Ave Blues, but I mean. Of mm-hmm. course, of course, Scott Boris is going to tell John Heyman to write that story because he wants the Yankees' <laughs> money out there. Uh, but there's, I mean, there's a clear path need there. I mean, they could also do it in Seattle. I thought, it would, I mean, the draft's this Thursday. Once the draft happens, he can sign, and team doesn't have to pay the the compensation uh, pick anymore. There's a clear need for him in Seattle with with Hart out now with Cano a little dinged up. There's a clear need there. They could get this done and be done with it. But they could have been done with this a while ago, too, because it was Seattle's pick to begin with. That's where he came from. So you don't lose your own pick. It just it was it was draft money at that point. But there's there's a need there. There's a need Baltimore. They could do that, too, because there's a good chance that uh, Weeders may be done. I mean, that, that still hasn't been decided. But if he goes, there's there's a need there. And Baltimore is definitely in a position to contend uh, in, in the American League East. So they can make that move. I, it's going to be an American League team. I don't think it's going to be a National League team at this point uh, unless – unless Milwaukee wants to step into it, they could use that because, yes, they do have a platoon of Mark Reynolds and Lyle Overbay, but when you have two first basemen, you have none, and those guys are better used. They're used him as a platoon situation. But you look at the – yes, Mark Reynolds is hitting home runs, but it's all he's doing. It's home. He's the three-true outcome guy, but there's fewer walks these days. There's more strikeouts and the home runs. He's a two-and-a-half outcome guy, and Overbay is what he is. Why not – Go get Morales, let him play first base, assuming his legs can hold up uh, and play the uh, the field every day. But maybe they can if he only has to play four months of the season. Yeah, I think um, it's all the teams you name there. I mean, I think my guess is that the Orioles, I mean, they seem they were interested in Jefferson Marger. It seems like it's a team, and I think justifiably, that should be interested a little more in pitching. Uh, than acquiring pitching in some manner. But, I'll, uh, again, obviously you don't really have to sacrifice anything except money to sign Morales. So, And it's it's. I think what's interesting about this is that uh, because now Morales is in this situation where um, he's, I mean, obviously he's at, kind of at the uh, the mercy of teams who need him. And uh, and uh, basically I guess it's it's a situation where the number of teams that is in, that are interested uh, is also kind of dictated by some interesting situations. The Rangers have to ask themselves, is it worth forking over? Rangers, to me, are a prime destination because of uh, uh, the injury situations there, uh, especially now that uh, uh, you know Mitch Moreland has a, had to take over at first base and mm-hmm. Michael Chores has had to become the choice has had to become the DH. <clears throat> um, I think it's uh, it, it looks like that. It looks like to me that's a prime destination. But the you know the Rangers are. I mean they sacrifice so much. They have Derek Holland coming back, but really is it you know is this a, is this a scene you know do, do you chalk this up as a season that's just you know this was never going to be in our favor, or, or do you throw out the money prorated and say that yeah we're going to take a shot here? Um, and uh, the Orioles could just I, I think the Orioles could justify considering the way that division has played out so far. But the the way that the uh, uh, the AOS has looked. I don't. I don't. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's. I think. I think it's an interesting situation because the Rangers are. Uh, they were playing above their heads for a while, um, and uh, really their offense has struggled at times. I mean, it's just. It, it's. It's. I, I would. I if I was the Rangers, I think I would. I would have a hard time forking out the money that uh, for for Morales. But then again, it's probably not going to be a lot of money, relatively speaking. So. I mean, it's. It, I think between that situation again, the Orioles, because they have the questions about Weeder's health, uh, and you know, Weeder's has come out of. Uh, I'm not sure what the results were of his throwing session today, but so far, so good. They say he's reported no pain, so 
I mean, that's obviously a positive, but it's it's very small positive. I mean, it just it's hard to see him coming back and lasting. So, um, I, I think it's it's the timing of this could have been a little better in that sense. And you know, some team has to take a gamble, but that, you know, maybe financially that works out in Morales' favor because someone says, all right, maybe there's a panic move and they have to fork out some money and he ends up somewhere you're not expecting him, but. Um, uh, I think overall, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a guy who's probably going to go to a pretty good situation. And, uh, if he's been available in fantasy leagues or if you've been holding on to him or whatever it is, it sounds like uh, ultimately it's going to pay off a bit. It would help. I mean, I've been, I've been holding on to him in three different leagues because he was free. He was end of the, I remember taking him in the 23rd round in one, in one league. I think I have, him uh, in NFBC, I think I ended up taking him in the 25th round just cause he was there. And I was like, okay, I'll take him. Uh, and <laughs> It's just situated. It works out for him now because there, it's definitely a, a, a seller's market because there are multiple teams that could use him. You would hope that something happens this week, so maybe he gets in, he gets uh, into a, li- a lineup and is productive sometime after Father's Day. But even if he signs uh, on Friday morning, I don't see him on a roster until like like Stephen Drew, ten days. So he's going to need some time just to uh, catch up. You know, he's been facing some kind of live pitching something but it's not major league pitching and he's going to need something uh, to get going and it may take him a little bit but th- this is cheap power this is a guy that you could roster now and could hit you a 15 plus home runs the rest of the way yeah and that's obviously attractive uh we let's let's jump to his player uh jared cosart is a reader uh, readers asked us about him what's his outlook i mean obviously he's had some good results uh, although the peripherals aren't necessarily entirely enticing in the sense that uh He's not generating a lot of strikeouts. He occasionally has the problems with the control and uh, things like that. But what is it? I mean, he's a former top prospect, uh, definitely uh, still may still have a bright future ahead of him. What's his outlook in dynasty leagues? You know, is this a guy that you want to own in the long term? Honestly, I don't. I mean, this is a guy who's got a very live arm. I, I mean, I've, I've watched him pitch sometimes that he can go through a lineup. Uh, when his stuff's good, but it, the fastball command's not always there, and it's it's troublesome when the guy's basically a two pitch pitcher. He his his changeup's a third pitch for him. It's a distant third pitch. The curveball's really tight. He can sometimes if his stuff is good enough, he can go through a lineup with just two pitches. But the fastball command just isn't there for a guy to throw that hard and his strikeout rate for his career to be fourteen point five percent and his walk rate's thirteen percent. No, we've been down this road with a couple of guys before like this, hard throwers that can't command their fastball, and this is what happens with him. The good news is he doesn't get hurt with home runs because he does pound the lower part of the zone. He he can move it. He can keep it down to your knees so he doesn't get hurt with the long ball even in that ballpark uh, with with the short porch of the Crawford boxes. But this, no, this isn't a guy that I want for Dynasty because – there's, I don't think there's a lot of ceiling here. I mean, you see the arm. I know it's tough to say. You look at a guy that throws that hard. What the hell? Could he be Nate Eovaldi? No, Eovaldi's got more command in this. Uh, and this, is, this isn't somebody that I'm very interested in for dynasty purpose. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree for the most part. I think uh, what's... I mean, what's bothered me about Kosar's development, and this is a pitcher I'd owned, uh, I think, last year in A.L. Labor, and I was kind of hopeful that uh, he was close to reversing that trend, but uh, he ended up uh, I mean, basically his his walk rate has climbed at every stage. That I mean, he jumps a level and uh, the the control rate climbs again, and he hasn't really shown any uh, shown any instincts yet uh, to to reverse that trend. 
Uh, I, I, I don't see him. I, I mean, ultimately, he might turn out to be kind of a Bud Norris type or somebody I mean, who ends up belonging in a bullpen. And so maybe down the road, he gets some considerations closer or something like that. I'm not I don't know that Houston has ever had that conversation. I highly doubt it uh, any time, uh, you know, any time yet. But um, I, I don't think. I mean, he's got a pretty good cuff fastball. I mean, he's, he he can throw hard. I mean, it looks the stuff looks great. It's just that he doesn't always put it where he where he wants to put it. And uh, to me, that just it does. It's not a great long term. Uh, it's not a great long term uh, formula, considering that uh, this has been an issue for him for some time. I mean, it's not to say that he can't turn that around, but uh, it would. It's, it's you know, it's going to require some kind of a. Uh, significant changes, and uh, at this right. point, I, I mean, don't let, think that they figured out what that's going to be. And let's not forget, uh, guys that don't throw with his kind of stuff, Colin McHugh and Dallas Keuchel are striking guys out left and right. This guy mm-hmm. with this velo can't do it. And that's just that's to me that's pitching. That's the difference between being a pitcher and a thrower. And does does Cozart look better this year than he did last year? Yeah, I, I've seen a couple of the starts where like, well, okay, that's that's good. It does look better than he did last year. But there's still too much. There's too time. There's too much time here, and I'd rather take a chance on somebody else that's not going to hurt themselves uh, with poor command. Yeah, I like that. I mean, he at times he can. I mean, he can generate some weak contact. I mean, that's certainly a skill that he has. It's just yeah, the the consistency to be able to do that, and I, I don't think I. Even though when we're still young in this early in this guy's career, I I really have my doubts about whether he's going to learn to do that consistently enough. Mm-hmm. All right, so, and, well, when we have a series of injuries, obviously it's always a big issue. We won't spend a whole lot of time, and there's not much, there's not much to say, unfortunately, except for, well, the Will Myers situation is especially disappointing for a number of reasons, and uh, Jason has probably uh, quite a few thoughts on this uh, related to the, the, the suffering that raised fans have gone through so far this season, so I'd be happy to let him wax on that. I mean, he's been a disappointment this year to begin with. He just hasn't hit for the power. His plate appearances have been dis, uh, you know, inconsistent. He, he gets times where he's pull happy and then he rolls over in a lot of stuff. And then every now and then, like, he had a laser home run the other day against in, in Toronto, which was really impressive. But this, he hurt himself going into the gap in Fenway on a play and, and didn't call off Desmond Jennings or Desmond Jennings didn't call him off and they collided and turned it into a game-winning triple uh, because they, neither of them can make a play on the baseball. But it is uh, – he just hasn't been good this year. And I don't know really what it is. I don't, it just, it's so inconsistent. And what I see sometimes, I see a guy just trying to crush everything and not doing it. And rather than change his ways, he just keeps doing it. And he's got to be, you know, more with it mentally to, to fix this. I just see somebody that seems rather, uh, takes a very non-mental approach to baseball and, Sometimes that can be good. In this case, I don't think it's good for him. And I think it's causing problems down the roster because Longoria is clearly trying to pick up the slack. And he's been terrible. His, his, slugging, his OPS is, is sub-700. He's got 12, 13 extra base hits uh, on the season. And that's ridiculous for a guy of his ability. But he's pressing. And the whole lineup stinks. But that's what the thing with Myers with this wrist. Uh, that'll keep him out for a couple of weeks. They just got Ben Zobers back. But now it's, it's Myers. It's like somebody comes in, somebody comes out. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I know that uh, Myers' approach at the plate specifically, I mean, obviously this is not a guy who's, I mean, he wasn't destined to win a batting title, and uh, it, but he was never a guy who, I mean, he never lacked the kind of control of the strike zone where you thought this guy is going to be a liability, uh, truly, you know, he's not, he's far from being an Adam Dunn liability in batting average, for instance, but um, 
this was this was you know a, a voiced concern that the Rays had last year before they promoted him, and that's what they you know quote unquote they wanted to see before they did promote him. Um, do you think is it is it possible that maybe this absence is actually a good thing? It turns out to be a blessing in disguise in the sense that uh, it gives them some time to step back and maybe they get a chance to uh, to to talk about this kind of approach thing again. Uh, perhaps I mean because it really is a pull thing. When you look at his numbers, his you know, we look at his uh, his um, chase rate is out of zone swing. He's actually chasing fewer pitches this year than he was last year. His swing and miss rate, his contact percentage, is almost identical to what it was last year. So it's he's not chasing pitches. He's not struggling to make contact. It's what he's making contact with and how he's doing it. And I just see a guy that's just trying to pull too much, and that's really what's what's hurt him is that is where he's getting to be this pull happy rolling over on things. It's really tough to hit for power when you're rolling over and, and teams are just pitching this guy right now, looking at him and saying, I'm pitching you away, away and away. And instead of hitting the ball, the other direction, he's rolling over on it. And that's pretty much what I'm looking at his spray chart. I, I, I need one hand to count the number of base hits the other way. And even if I were to add an ounce, I may need two hands at a foot it's so much to the left, and that's really, for me, it's it's almost like the old Willie Mays Hayes thing in, in Major League. You're going to find him every time he gets a fly ball. For Will Myers, every time he pulls something, he should be fined until he gets it because this he doesn't need – he's got power to all fields. He doesn't need to pull the ball to hit it for authority. He can hit, he can hit about the right center. He does not need to do this, but he's his own worst enemy right now. And if, if I were playing him defensively, I would put three guys to the left – I would take the first baseman and put him. I'd almost put the first baseman, uh, you know, out where second base is, and just say, "Go ahead," because I'll, I'll I'll beat you to the bag a little bit over there. Will Myers does bust his butt down the line. I'll give him that much. But there's he, he's hit. I'm looking at his spray chart. He's hit seven balls to the right of second base. Seven all season <laughs> on the ground in the infield, uh, and he's had three or uh, two base hits the other way. But that's where. How many of those did he inside out? Oh, man, it's just, it's, just driving, it's just driving me nuts. It's frustrating to watch this and how long this has gone on. I mean, the hitting coach, this needs to be fixed. And if he's not listening to hitting coach, find other ways to motivate this kid. I'm not, I'm not against sending him down to the minor leagues to teach him a lesson. This season's busted. They're 11 games below 500. They're not going to make the playoffs. If he doesn't want to get his head straight, send him down to the minors. I honestly don't care. The long run's more important right now. Uh, and on that note, if you're an AL only league owner and you're and you don't get credit for crossover trades, I'd start trying to move David Price now. I there's a two percent chance that David Price is, is a Tampa Bay Ray uh, by August first. There's a yeah, that's a, there's a twenty percent chance. To, honestly, I've already made the point um, with a couple of my uh, media friends in the market. You sell now. Be first to market, and this this advice applies to fantasy owners. If you're going to dump, dump now. Don't wait. Look, forecast your team, see where it's at. Be the first to market, so you get the most. You have the most buyers. If you start waiting until the Cubs sell Samarja, or if the Royals fell out of it and they sell Shields, or if the Phillies decide they're going to move Cliff Lee, you know you've got to you got to be first to market, so you can get your choices at your at your Jock Petersons from the from the Dodgers or Aaron Sanchez from the uh, from the Blue Jays or different pieces like that. Don't wait until somebody else takes one of those guys and then limit your options. Be like, oh, I'm just going to hold the guy for another year, especially with Tampa Bay. They need 
upper level talent. They need people to use now. There's a there's a talent gap there because of all the crackheads they drafted in the past in the higher draft picks. And <laughs> that's where I, I would advocate if they were to sell David Price this week, if Dodgers were like, fine, we'll give you Jock Peterson, we'll give you Julio Urias, you know, whatever. Done. Do it. Sell the, throw the white flag and do it because that's the way this season has played out. But I think it applies to Myers. Honestly, if he doesn't get his head out of his ass, send him to the minor leagues for a few weeks and do what they did to Mike Moustakas. Maybe he can go down there and hit 350. But I'm not happy with what I've seen from Myers this year. Yeah, uh, and just real quick, I mean, Myers is the type of kid, you know, from the psychological perspective, uh, He, I don't think he's ever been anybody, one of those players that uh, your team should be worried about damaging his confidence. He's always seemed to have had a lot of that to have had a lot of that, I think. Uh, so, uh, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, it might be a case where uh, teaching him a lesson is a good thing. It's an uh, excellent advice to those uh, for as far as the trade market goes. Uh, just some fantastic advice there. Um, just some real quick injury situations to talk about here. Um, AJ Pollock, oh, obviously, <laughs> very much oh. sucks that he suffered a fractured right hand. He was coming on and was actually pretty much the hottest hitter in Arizona. Uh, and even uh, lately have been out hitting Paul Goldschmidt, uh, which you know, doesn't really mean anything for the long term. But uh, for the for the next few weeks, uh, I mean, who, who knows how long it's going to keep this guy out. Um, Probably but, four uh, I mean, six with a hand injury. Yeah, that's I mean, that's it was my initial kind of uh, my, my initial uh, amateur guess. Um, but, the, you know, basically the question is, is, I mean, it's a blow, uh, but is there anything that you, that you suddenly have interest in? You know, it's, I guess it's not too, uh, Mark Trumbo might beat Pollock back now, I think, from the disabled list. I, I would guess that's a possibility, not, not necessarily a very good one, but uh, considering the situation, basically, is there any, uh, any, any outfielder in Arizona now that you're is there interested in besides Gerardo Parra? Cody Ross has been struggling as a can't help but think that eventually he comes back around, but the rest of this is going to be, I mean, Ender and Art and Sarti. I can't even pronounce that guy's name. I apologize uh, to Mister and Ciarte's family. Uh, but uh, I mean, Ender and Ciarte and Alfredo Marte, Tim, Tony Campana, Roger Kishnick, all these guys have gotten looks at different times this season. Uh, is there is there any interest in any of these guys no. uh, for the next month? <laughs> no, there's not. And th- the thing is, with Pollock, over the last month he was hitting 375 with a 1086 OPS. That's the level of production he was giving you. And now you lose that because Johnny Cueto broke his hand. Man, it sucks. Because you knew there was going to be some cooling off coming from, from Pollock because that can't continue, obviously. But it was nice to enjoy that ride while it was happening. And fortunately, it got taken away like that. But no, I'm not interested in any of those guys. The opportunity will be there for them, but I don't think any of them have the skill to take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. And I think uh, and, uh, moving to St. Louis, Matt Adams, we talked about as a train cap. The only the only thing I wanted to point out real quickly with him is I'd be, I guess I'd be slightly concerned. I mean, I think so far he's performed well against left-handed hitters. He's been hitting for batting average, which makes no sense. But uh, with the strain cap, I mean – Pretty much looks like uh, in the in the not too distant future, uh, Peter Borges and John Jay are going to be your fourth and fifth outfielders for St. Louis, uh-huh. uh, and that uh, once Matt Adams comes back. So uh, the question is: is does this jeopardize it bad for Matt Adams? Uh, I don't think it may in the short term, but you got to figure with that kind of outfield depth chart, somebody's getting moved. Uh, somebody will get moved there, and maybe Borges to a team that's looking for a better uh, center field option. Uh, on on the bench or maybe to the Rockies. <laughs> I'm just kidding. yeah, not like they have enough guys. Uh, but maybe 
that looks for me that would be scream to trade depth, but it may hurt Adams in the short term because Alan Craig is starting to hit the ball a little better now. Uh, after his cool his cool start, so he's starting to hit a little better. But I'm not terribly concerned with that. But he's still there long term. They're not going to want to take away too many plate appearances from him. Yeah, that is that's certainly my hope too. I thought, and I, uh, coming into the season, I always had that little bit of little bit of uh, fear that they might do something about that. But uh, um, so anyway, uh, moving to another interesting situation. Mark Teixeira has kind of been in and out. I finally rejoined the lineup. I think on it was Friday, um, and then had the restoreness pop up again. I haven't seen anything since that has suggested otherwise. But it just seems like a situation where they got to put him back on the disabled list and and bite the bullet on this one. Uh, obviously, the, the, what's going to happen with this? I mean, so far it's, it, it's kind of been believed that it was just a, a, a general soreness that popped up as a post-surgery thing, and nothing that was, you know, quote unquote unexpected. But uh, this is going on for long enough to where I think that there has to be uh, some, at least, some short-term concern. Is I mean, do you think DL move is inevitable, or do you, and who do you think benefits from the playing time? Uh, what does this look like uh, as far as any? I guess what. I'm, well, mostly what fans members might want to know is what what are the uh, what's the what's the fallout from this, and is a is there a way for fantasy owners to benefit? Um, I don't know really what the fall the the fallout's going to be if there truly is any benefit. I mean, Solarte was already getting his playing time. Kelly Johnson hasn't done much with the playing time he's had. Uh, I honestly maybe Brian McCann plays a little more first base possibly. I don't, I don't see if there's any advantage of this. I think Teixeira does probably will need to go on a DL because this risk, this is post-surgical complications with things. Uh, and he said he's fought it for a little bit. It's unfortunate because he has, he's been better than I thought he was going to be coming back, but yeah. you know, you can't, one of these things, you kind of get, let it get more rest. You can't just go, Oh, it feels good. Let me try it. Nope. Nope. It gets hurt again. And, uh, that goes, that goes from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a it's terrible timing because, like you said, I mean he's he started to hit for well and hit hit for power, which was you know that was going to be the concern coming back from this type of uh, surgery, uh, and so it's it is definitely disappointing. And hope, hopefully it turns out to be a situation where it is it's just some kind of soreness slash uh, inflammation that is uh, something that they can iron out with you know cortisone shot or something and some rest. Uh, and but uh, that's it's definitely a situation that's to be determined. I uh, just want to run quickly through some players who are on the way back. Uh, this is uh, basically these are most of these are just public service announcements. Uh, I think there are maybe a couple of guys that we can speculate. Is this a guy we want to use right away? But uh, Jose Abreu, everyone should be madly excited that he should he'll be back on Monday. Um, there's no questions there. I don't think Josh Hamilton. It sounds like he's going to be back in the early part of the week after he has set back. I think with a, with a bone bruise, uh, but uh, should be ready to come back from torn, th- torn, torn thumb ligament. Uh, has has resumed his rehab assignment and has experienced no issues there. So that's definitely a positive. I think uh, to me, it sounds like a situation uh, not to worry about too much. Uh, and as a guy, you, I would think you want to get back in there. Error, Mister Ramirez is uh, similar. He's supposed to be back on Tuesday or Wednesday from a strained hamstring. Might hit lower in the lineup uh, now. Be, I believe it's because Carlos Gomez has been hitting cleanup for Milwaukee, uh-huh. and so that's that might be something to. I, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be a long term switch for them, but is there anything you see as far as Milwaukee's lineup? I mean, they've kind of been up and down. I mean, it's a lineup that can definitely score some runs. We know that, uh, right? But uh, 
Uh, anything uh, about Ramirez uh, other than the typical? We know that he's a, a, an injury guy or an injury prone guy. Yes, he was supposed to be back this last this scoring period, not the one coming up. But there was talk about him possibly joining the team four days ago, and now we're it's almost a week later, and that's what. Uh, I had him in my lineup this week because I was playing some stiffs at third base and replacing him. I, I like Ramirez. I know he went to the disabled list rather ice cold. At one point, I know he was like three for his last 41. Then he got a couple of hits, and then he got hurt running that ball out. So let's hope that he comes back and that slumps behind him because that lineup definitely could use him. And I know a lot of people, when you look at his track record, this has been one of the better hitters in baseball in the second half of the season. Pretty much after May 1st on, April's have always been a bad month for him, but the guy rakes after that. And let's hope that continues for him uh, for Milwaukee's sake, for fantasy owners' sake. Uh, because it's it's a key thing, and they're in contention. There was some talk I mean, before the season. People were like, okay, Milwaukee sucks. Uh, they're falling out of it. Are they going to trade Aramis Ramirez to the Yankees for their third base situation? Now you look at it, Milwaukee's 11 games over 500. They, they won again today, so there's 34-23. and 23. Aramis Ramirez is there to stay, and they're going to need yeah. him to hit in the middle of that lineup. I mean, Braun's doing his thing. Gomez is doing his thing. But that's it. Segura's not really doing much. He's been hitting leadoff right now uh, because Gomez has had hit down the lineup. But you get Aramis back. You've got him hitting behind Braun, and you've got and you have uh, Gomez hitting once. You've got one, three, and four. Your three best hitters right now in those three spots. Maybe Segura can hit second. Maybe you push him down the lineup a little more. Uh, but he's getting gear too. But it's really not hurting them right now. They have a three-game lead. Uh, on St. Louis, but they honestly should have a little more. They've let St. Louis creep back up into this. St. Louis has got the pieces to go out and make a trade. They just called up their guy in Oscar Tavares, and Milwaukee doesn't have that guy. Their farm system is barren. They have nobody. So if they're going to do something, they're going to have to find somebody that they're going to have to take on some salary uh, to add to their roster because they don't have somebody in their farm where they can say, hey, we'll trade you this guy. Jimmy Nelson's not going to bring back that kind of return. Yeah, it's gonna, uh, it would be interesting to see how Milwaukee's lineup uh, looks the rest of the season. Um, I think that's that maybe their their path to. Uh, I mean, that's that's their their uh, their that's how they remain relevant. Is what I'm trying to say is uh, you know it's going to be the health of the lineup. I think because uh, and you know pitching you know they've they've gotten by with some pretty solid pitching. I think that that could, that's the kind of thing that could, that could continue, and they have a little bit of depth there. Um, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see health wise. Um, I think I want to just uh, comment. Carlos Santana saw briefly that Cleveland, they expect to get him back uh, this week. They, well, this is what they're thinking. Uh, he had positive development as far as his recovery from concussion or concussion-like symptoms, and they think that he can, they could get him back as soon as Wednesday, but if not, they're, they're thinking maybe Friday. And the only thing that really concerned me with this is that, uh, I mean, it's to me it's a head injury, uh, knowing the history of head injuries and how, uh, I mean, teams have obviously, got, obviously gotten a lot better about them, but they still don't know how not to express optimism about them. And I think that uh, basically one positive step doesn't mean uh, hardly, hardly means anything because it's not like a linear development or anything like that when it comes to a head injury. So, I mean, considering that Santana largely struggled before he went on the DL, it's not a guy I would look to activate this week, obviously, I think, but uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it's not a guy I would be still ready to count on uh, right away. Um, in terms of you know expecting him even to come back, is there anything you could you could comment on that regarding that? Is there anybody any way you could see this shaking out in a positive manner? No, no, I fully agree with you. That's not somebody I'm going to be in any rush to put back in my lineup. I'm going to let him. I'll put him put him on a bench this week, maybe even another week. I just want to see 
let's not forget, even before he got hurt, he still sucked. So it's uh, it's not somebody that I'm in any rush to get back. And I mean, of the guys that are left to talk about, you know, with Matt Cain, Mike Napoli, Zimmerman, Votto, you yeah. know, I have no problem putting those guys back in when they come back in. I'm fine with those guys. But the head injury, that's a completely different character. And I think the other four guys, I'll be fine. We, we really don't know when Votto's going to come back. But it looks like we'll get Kane, Napoli, and Zimmerman back sometime this week. Yeah, it does. And and Kane, I mean, uh, I don't know that he's, I mean, he hasn't, uh, he's he's not had like a, I mean, he's not going to get a rehab assignment start or anything like that. I mean, they're going to throw him back in. So there's a chance that he's going to be on a pitch count or something like that, but he's pitching against the Mets. So, uh, you know, I think even guys with 75 pitch counts uh, can, can shut them out for six innings. So... I mean, it's. I mean, it obviously depends on the depth of your league and the depth of your roster. But uh, you know, it's it's a guy I wouldn't be I wouldn't be terribly afraid to run out there. Just realize that the ceiling is limited in that first start back. Uh, so I guess we can wrap it up. But just uh, is there uh, with with some two star guys? Just a, is there a chance that we see anybody here that really stands out to us? I'm going to throw it to you first in the American League. Is there anybody uh, who stands out there as a guy that uh, that is really exciting you as far as his two star week goes? You know, I was I'm looking at the American League and honestly, no. I mean, here's <laughs> the thing: David Phelps could be somebody nice in the cheap. He's got Seattle. He's got Kansas City. Uh, he's going up against Felix uh, against Seattle, so that's going to be tough for the win. But he should, he still has a chance of putting up decent numbers because that's not a good lineup. And then Kansas City doesn't hurt you because they have no power. Uh, and again, he's got a chance to do good. But the pro- and he goes against Danny Duffy there, uh, and Danny Duffy has not looked good his last couple of outings. So on the cheap, if I'm looking for somebody that I could, if I'm doing daily, keep an eye on that Kansas City one. But in a two start week, I'm, I'm, I'd start Phelps this week. That's normally not a guy that you're looking at, but I think I could go with Phelps this week. I mean, down the lineup, you may look at the one and say, ooh, C.J. Wilson's got the Astros and the White Sox. Let's not forget the Astros are really good against left-handed pitchers. It's somebody they usually handle. They usually wear those guys out rather well. The team's won seven of the last nine games. They're hitting the ball rather well. So that's not a, a matchup that I'm as excited about. It's a decent one. But that Astros lineup, that's not a, a just a, a gimme as it used to be because Wilson, uh, you know, they, they do hit lefties well. And that's really the two when I'm looking at this list are like, wow. And then one guy I would sit, Drew Hutchinson, as much as I like Hutchinson right now, at Detroit and against St. Louis, no. Uh, and, and St. Louis obviously, again, doesn't have the power. But Tavares is back. Uh, Tavares is in the picture. And they know how to work at bats. I, I don't like that matchup at all. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. I think, uh, I mean, it's uh, Phelps is an interesting case, I think, because it's, it seems, I mean, my, my guess is that, uh, you know, he and uh, he and Vidal Nuno could be kind of, kind of pitching against each other for the possibility to hang on to that ro- uh, a rotation spot. Uh, although at this point, there are so many rotation spots that have been, uh, that they, that the Yankees have needed to fill that it's a, uh, it's, it's far from important to speculate on that right now, but I agree. And I think it, I don't know offhand uh, what uh, uh, the Yankees and Baltimore do uh, as far as <clears throat> their their uh, their ability against left-handers. I want to say the Yankees have even struggled against left. It's, it's particularly against left-handers that they don't they haven't seen before. But uh, Casimir, I mean, he's uh, Mike Podhorzer talked about this. Uh, he did an article on Casimir and the potential corrections and the trade him and things like that. And it's you know it's kind of a uh, I mean, it's you could say I don't want to say it's an obvious sell move. I mean, it's just kind of a you know, do people want to buy into this? I mean, I think that uh, the hits on Casimir aren't necessarily going to be that great, but he is going to. I mean, he's a he's a, 
he's pretty much a, a fly ball. Um, he's he's definitely reduced the fly ball rate, but it'd just be a, a little concerning to me heading to these two ballparks. And if uh, some corrections are due, and that that's probably mostly my paranoia talking. Uh, but uh, <laughs> ultimately, and, and the only guy, I mean, I, I'd be interesting to see uh, 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 what Sam Duno. I, I think some right-handers have really had some success against Milwaukee. Have really really pitched well against some ladies. Jason Hamill, for example, I think. Dejuno is a kind of style. He he's just a guy who kind of intrigues me. Uh, being that between that and the start against Houston, yes, Houston has has really turned it on. But as Jason, I'm not, I don't think that they're really nearly as success, successful against right-handed pitchers. I want to say so. Correct. Um, I, I think it's I think it's a situation where Dejuno is a, is intriguing enough for me that I'd be willing to take a gamble on him in a very deep league. Uh, Moving into the National League, is there anybody who strikes you here specifically? Uh, and it's 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 it's, it's a case where we have a, a number of um, middling pitchers, I think, and and, and virtual no names uh, going this week for two starts, uh, and so there's not a lot to choose from. Well, yeah, I mean Henderson Alvarez against Tampa Bay and the Cubs. I've, we've already talked about Tampa Bay's struggles offensively, uh, and I, I like the Alvarez matchup there, and I like him against the Cubs and the Randy Wolf. Uh, he's left-handed, and the, and the Rays stink against those guys too right now, and that's advantage for him. And he's got the Cubs as well, so he'll he'll be pitching against you know, lefty going against uh, Anthony Rizzo, who's the one guy in that lineup that can hurt you. Uh, so I like those two guys in the cheap this week as two start guys. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely I think uh, good calls there. I like those uh, a good bit, and uh, uh, be I be. A little wary of. I, I really haven't seen uh, what Chase Anderson's results have looked like, but obviously a start at Colorado is yeah, not that's a, red flag issue. right. It's not yes, not a mixture of success. <laughs> and then on top of it, it you know, Atlanta is a team that has largely struggled and struck out a bunch, but they've they've kind of they've started to show some signs of life. And I can't. I mean, it's a lineup, a lot of talent there. It's not like it's a lineup that everybody expects to struggle for the for the entire season. So I'd be wary of of them perhaps coming out of their shell at the wrong time for any of my pitchers really. Um, but, uh, I think that that's, that's not, and, and, um, yeah, to be honest, I mean, there's not a whole lot that intrigues me except for, you know, you, uh, folks have been concerned about Giovanni Gallardo. I think that it's, it's not a bad week for him to get back on track with, a uh, assuming that he can avoid trouble. I think more so with Minnesota. I mean, I think that he could be in good shape if he, when he makes a visit to Pittsburgh. Uh, and I want to say that he, I want to say he has had a lot of success against Pittsburgh, and you know that means only so much. But uh, it might not be a bad thing for him to take a trip to Pittsburgh as opposed to getting out of uh, uh, out of Miller Park. You know, speaking of the Colorado thing, I think uh, the final point I want to make is if you're leery of starting anybody in Colorado, you at this point really should be treating anybody against Toronto in the same capacity. I mean, when you look at what Toronto's doing offensively, nobody's getting these guys out right now. They're so hot offensively. I, I honestly, if I'm looking at a two-start guy and I see Toronto in that second start of that first start, that other matchup really has to be a good one for me to say, okay, I'll leave him in there and take my chance. I'm looking at Shelby Miller. Yes, a really good matchup against Kansas City, but then he's going up against Mark Burley the second time. I'm, I'm looking at that saying, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to start Miller this week. Jaime Garcia yeah. going against Shields and then has Toronto again. I don't want a Jaime Garcia in that ballpark. No, no, thank you. Uh, so that's what I'm, I'm kind of looking at saying, no, the, the, yeah, those are two start guys, but I don't want to start either of those guys this week. Yeah, it's, that's uh, totally a good call. And I think especially, I mean, Jaime Garcia is a guy who is, uh, I mean, He's not not always displayed this problem, but has often had his troubles with home and road splits. Uh, and uh, I mean, it just it smells like a potential disaster to send him on, uh, into Toronto. And I agree, Toronto scares me, uh, and it's not just because of the cold. I think that there's a, there's I mean they 
they hit with a lot of power and uh, they wait out a lot of guys. And that's just, I mean, it's a terrible recipe for success for pitchers that might, as, as you mentioned with, I mean, Miller is a guy who was occasionally struggled with his command and control. Uh, it's just, it, 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 it uh, would worry me quite a bit. They're wearing guys out. I mean, Adam Lind is looking really good right now. Melky has not cooled off any. Larvey's working his at-bats. Yeah, no, I, I do not want any part of Toronto right now if I've got a fantasy guy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that does it for this edition of The Sleeper and the Bust. Uh, it's episode 123 again. We thank you very much for joining us. We hope that uh, you will continue to join us uh, at Co-host Jason Collette has been uh, fantastic as always, and again is the coolest guy uh, across across the booth from me, uh, virtually speaking, uh, especially when Eno Saris is not around. Uh, and so, uh, thank you very much again. Uh, we hope to continue to clean up any production issues we had in recent episodes, and uh, I think we're on well on our way to doing that. And if, again, as, as always, if you have any requests. Uh, or anything like that, any questions to ask, please feel free to tweet those at us uh, or to comment in the article. Yeah. And, uh, and to be fair, my first couple of times there were production issues as well, so it, it, it's it's rookie hazing. Uh, those kinds of things happen, but we'll, we'll definitely be back next weekend. Um, as I look at the schedule, I know that the 8th and the 15th are going to be good for me, and then the 23rd, the, the 23rd will be good, but then I, I move the final weekend of this month. So uh, an advance heads up, there won't be a show with me at the last Sunday of this month because I will be uh, on my road to Charlotte and getting out of Florida for good. Well, uh, I think we, uh, all listeners of the podcast, uh, on behalf of them, I will give you a token congratulations on that. <laughs> and uh, yes, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's fantastic news other than the fact that you won't be available for the podcast that weekend. But uh, I think it's uh, overall it's positive for you and your family. We greatly, greatly appreciate whenever we can get Jason on, and uh, we're looking forward to serving you next time. Again, uh, thank you as always for joining us, and uh, good luck to you all this week, and we look forward to speaking at you again this coming Tuesday. Mm-hmm.